The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you have your Bibles, would you join me? Genesis chapter 21. As we continue our story, our study in the life of Abraham. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy. And because of your slave woman, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a great, I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. But when the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called upon Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. And he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and the land and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about the 
a will of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me. I've not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, The seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, the, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called, the name, called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. We live in a world that's full of broken promises. That's our natural existence. Maybe you've experienced the harsh reality and the hurt of broken promises, broken promises made by parents, broken promises made by a spouse, broken promises made by children, broken promises made by employers. We live in a world full of broken promises. But the good news for us is that God keeps all His promises. Though the world may fail us, though fellow sinners may fail us, God never fails. God is faithful. We see in this text this morning God's faithfulness. We see it in a child in a covering, and in a covenant. God has made many promises to Abraham, hasn't he? The story begins, it starts with a promise in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The very beginning of the story of this man from the Ur of Chaldees, named Abram, that would become Abraham, from whom the very Savior of the world would come. The very story begins with the promise of God. That God would show him a land that God would make of him a great nation, that God would bless him, that God would make his name great, that God would make him a blessing. The promises of God continue in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Another promise. 
In Genesis 13, verses 14 through 17, again, God makes promises. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had departed from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also could be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Again, God makes a promise in Genesis 15 after the sinful fall of Abraham taking matters into his own hands with his wife's slave. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your offspring be. Sorry, the, the, the promise of the heir to Sarah comes in 17. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And again, verse 19, God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And again in verse 21, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. God has made many promises to Abraham, promises that center themselves around both an offspring, a son, a child, an heir, and a land. Genesis 12 to where we are now, decades have passed. Much has happened. And at times, I'm sure it seemed as if God was not going to do what He had said He would do. But now in chapter 21, the promised child is born. We see the faithfulness of God in a child. The whole chapter hinges on these first words in the first verse. The Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. What incredible good news that God does exactly what He says He would do. That God is faithful to keep all of His promises. The emphasis here is on the faithfulness of God to do what He says He would do to fulfill the promises that He has made. The Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. God did what he was promised to do. 
And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. The faith of Abraham and Sarah, their faith in God against all odds, against all earthly wisdom, is vindicated. God has proven himself faithful. God has proven himself faithful. I'm sure there were those that looked at Abraham and thought, man, you are crazy. Man, you are crazy. I mean, you know it came up in conversation. Hey, God's made me a promise. Made me a promise to to give me a son from my wife, Sarah. You're 100 years old, man. You lost your mind. Are you crazy? I'm sure people looked on them and laughed. And in this moment, their faith is vindicated. Romans 4 talks about this, starting in verse 16. Paul says that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring... Not only to the adherent of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so your offspring shall be. In hope, he believed against hope. Meaning, by all earthly accounts, what God had promised to do was impossible. It was a a hopeless Aaron, yet in hope, he believed against all hope that God would do what he said he would do. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Biology would have said it was impossible, but theology is greater than biology. Faith in God, belief in God and who God is and what He is able to do trumps all other things. God is faithful to His promises and His faithfulness is seen in the miraculous child born. The child of promise. What is God doing? Listen, there really is no reason for God to have waited as long as God waited. Right? It wasn't like Abraham. When we think of having children, usually we think that we need to be sort of settled and secure and have a home and a good job and, you know, a spouse. These are the things that we should take into account. 
It wasn't like God's waiting on Abraham to sort of get where he's going and, you know, have a nice setup of tents there and a, and a deep well dug and vineyards planted. It's not like God's waiting on those things. Those things, are, those things have been done for decades. So why has God, why has God waited so long? Because he's making it abundantly clear that this is a supernatural act to clearly show that God can do anything he wants. That it depends not on us. That it depends on the all-powerful, all-sovereign hand of God. And that what he has promised, he will most certainly bring to pass, even if it seems like there's no way. There's no way. God is faithful. This is what we see in these texts, even when it's impossible. But why does that really matter to us that God is faithful to Abraham and to Sarah to bring about the child, Isaac? Why does that matter to us? The reason why that matters to us is just exactly what Jacob has said, because there are promises of God yet to be fulfilled. The reason why it matters to us is because all of us have one thing in common. We will all die. And so we hope against hope that God is faithful to his promises. And we trust in the promise that we will be raised to eternal life. That's why it matters that God has proven himself to be faithful to his promises, even when it seems impossible. It matters for us Now, because we still hope against hope in the faithful promises of God. Not all of His promises are fulfilled yet. And so we look back at God's faithfulness so that we look forward with faith that God will do exactly what God has promised He will do. God is faithful to His promises to Abraham. And so in response, Abraham is faithful to his promise to God. Verse 4, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. God was faithful to Abraham to do exactly what God had said he would do. And so now Abraham's response is, I will do exactly what I said I would do, God. You've kept your word. You've brought about the son of promise. I now will keep my word and I will circumcise this child of the promise. When God is faithful to us, His faithfulness should cause us to respond in joyful obedience. That's what we see here. We see a a joyful obedience. We see an obedience in Abraham 
at the exact prescribed time of God to do exactly what God had said to do. And we see just a, an overflow of joy from Sarah. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Now, this, this, there's, a, there's a major wordplay throughout the first half of this chapter over this word laughter. God has made a, a laughter for me. This is not a, a mocking laughter. This is a joyful laughter. Everyone who hears this will laugh with, with joy at the absurdity that at 99 years old, I'm nursing a child. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have bore him a son in his old age. There's joyful obedience in Abraham's house. And this promised child grows. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. The child of promise is celebrated. The faithful God is celebrated. But there is a problem at this feast. The problem is... The older brother, the older brother mocks the son of promise, verse 9. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Notice here, Ishmael's name is never mentioned. Just the son of the slave woman. And at this feast that Abraham has thrown for this young boy, Sarah sees Ishmael mocking Isaac, laughing at Isaac. So this is, this is these, this play on words here for this word laughter. The name Isaac means laughter. That's what it means. It means he laughs. And so you see this, and they bore a son, and they named him, he laughs. And then Sarah laughs at the thought that he laughs has been born to Abraham and acknowledges that everyone will laugh, that he laughs is here. And now here is Ishmael laughing. This is a, a more intensive form of the word laughter, and it, it literally means he's mocking him. He's mocking him. Maybe he's mocking his name. He's doing what older siblings are prone to do. He's laughing. So Sarah sees this. And Sarah's always had... She's always had some issues with Hagar and Ishmael, hasn't she? She's reaped what she's sown as far as they're concerned. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Right? I mean, there's, there's, um, there's, some, there's some worry here. Who is the son of the heir? Is it the, it's the firstborn son. And Ishmael's the firstborn son, but he's not the son of the promise. And, Sarah's saying he is not sharing 
with my son Isaac. So she asks Abraham to cast this woman out along with his son. Verse 11, and this was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. This is his son and whom he, he loves his son. About 15 years old here. He loves his son. So it's, it's displeasing to him. In verse 12, God speaks to Abraham and says, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. Now that's, as a, as a dad, I can imagine, that was probably a little disheartening to hear from God. Do as she says. Whatever she asks, you do it. Because Isaac is the promised son. Ishmael's still his son. He still loves him. And yet God is still faithful. Verse 13, And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. God is confirming to Abraham that he has a covering of grace on Ishmael. And so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and the skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on his shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And when the water skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Understand this is the desert where they are. It is hot, it is dry, and the water has run out. And thirst has set in. And when I read this, I thought, this kid's 15 years old. Like he's practically a man. How is she putting him under a bush and he's just staying there? Right? I mean, that's just kind of how my mind went. When you hear this, you know, my mind's thinking like, you know, little baby Moses in a basket kind of a thing. This is a 15-year-old boy. Well, I think it just tells us the shape that they were in. That they are near death. That they are so dehydrated that they are near the point of death to where they cannot go on any further. And so Hagar lays her son down under a bush to get a little shade for his last moments. And then she goes about a bow shot away so that she would not see or hear her only son die. She went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite of him, she lifted her voice and wept. God heard the voice of the boy. That's interesting to me because it's her weeping. Yet God hears the boy. Because his promise to make of Ishmael a great nation is with him. God hears the boy. His mother is so far away, she doesn't want to hear him, yet God is near and hears his cries. God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? What a ridiculous question. What troubles you, Hagar? 
Why are you troubled? I mean, if God would have stopped there, I, I, I mean, I could only imagine how we would respond, right? What do you mean? What, my, my son is dying, Lord. The reason why God asks this question is to highlight a lack of faith. What troubles you, Hagar? Have you forgotten exactly who I am? Fear not. Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand. For I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Verse 20. And God was with the boy. And he grew up. He lived in the wilderness, became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. She was Egyptian. What do we see? We see that God is faithful to Ishmael as he covers him with his grace. And God is with him. God was with the boy. God protects the boy. The boy grows up and becomes the father of many nations. You know, God had already made promises concerning Ishmael, hadn't he? Genesis 17, as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I've blessed him and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great Nation. God had already made promises concerning Ishmael, and God was not about to let his promises fail in the desert. And he is faithful to his promises, even when the circumstances at first didn't seem so. Sarah wants him gone because she's threatened by his potential role as heir. But God is faithful. And God provides, doesn't he? There's the imagery here of Ishmael (coughs) leaving the protection of his father's house. So he is leaving Abraham. And all that comes with Abraham being his dad. Part of my responsibility as a dad is I I cover over my children to protect them the best I can. And here is Ishmael at 15, out from under the care of his earthly father, yet never beyond the care of his heavenly father. And even while the situation looks dire, and they are thirsting to death, God is faithful and gives a well of water to sustain. What do we see? We see that we should trust in God even when all earthly wisdom says it's not possible. And we should trust in God and His promises even in the heat of the desert. We should trust in God. 
And then lastly, we see the faithfulness of God through a covenant. Verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. God is with you in all that you do. So a couple things to note here. Number one, so we've, we've met Abimelech, this king in the area where Abraham is living. And Abimelech now comes back to Abraham. And he comes with his commander, Phicol. Now, we don't know exactly why. And it certainly is probably reading into it a little bit here. But I think we understand human nature well enough to know that probably there there is some strife happening between Abraham and his people and Abimelech and his people, because Abimelech has told Abraham, you take whatever you want, you dwell wherever you want in this land, this is my land, you can dwell wherever you want. And Abraham has settled there, and you know children are being born, years are, are passing by, and so you, you have you know, these, these native people to the land that are under the rule of Abimelech, and you have Abraham, whom Abimelech has said, you can come in and have whatever you want. And certainly there probably was some tension there. And so Abimelech comes to meet Abraham, but he brings with him his commander. Right? I mean, this is sort of this is the, the show of, of power here. But he comes in a right humility because Abimelech has seen and understands that God is with Abraham. It was obvious to him that God was with him, that God's hand was upon him. So Abimelech knows I'm I'm not just facing Abraham here, I'm facing the God of Abraham here, right? And so he comes and he says, God's with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me, Here, by God, that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. So Abimelech comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, would would you swear an oath that you will deal honestly with me? That you'll be upright with me? That you won't deal falsely with me? Now, why is Abimelech concerned that Abraham might deal falsely with him? Because Abraham had dealt falsely with him. Because Abraham had already lied to him. Nope, she's my sister. You can take her. And so Abimelech comes back and says, Would you swear that you'll deal honestly with me? You remember how incredibly sad it was that Abraham was not the one that was acting godly in the situation with Abimelech and Sarah. And he jeopardized this very testimony, and that's seen here. God's with you, but you're a liar. And so would you not lie to me? Would you deal honestly with me? And Abraham says, I swear, I will. And so Abraham takes the opportunity 
to raise a point of concern with him that is probably one of the main points of contention. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about the well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Now remember, they're in the desert and water is life. Water is life. And Abraham has, through much effort and and great cost, dug a well to supply water for his people. And Abimelech's servants had come and taken the well. And so Abraham reproves Abimelech about a well of water that his servants had seen. But Abimelech says, I didn't know anything about it. This is the first time hearing of it. I ain't heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and he gave them to Abimelech and the two made a covenant together that they would deal honestly and upfront with one another in peace. And so Abraham set seven ewe lambs apart from the flock and Abimelech said to Abraham, what's the meaning of these seven lambs? And he says that these are a witness for me that I dug that well. You take these and they will serve as a witness that that well is mine. And so Abimelech takes this offering to show that the well is Abraham's so that they can dwell in peace. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath to one another. They made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called the name called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham journeyed or sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So they make this covenant together that they will deal in peace with one another and in worship. Abraham plants a Tamarisk tree. Tamarisk tree. Tamarisk tree is a, a large leafy tree. It's an evergreen tree. And understand, again, where they are here. They're in the desert. And so this tree is a, a picture. It's an emblem of shade, which brings comfort and rest, and it serves as an everlasting testament to the faithfulness of God towards Abraham in this land that God has promised to him that he would give it to his offspring and that there they would dwell in peace and comfort and rest under the faithful hand of God. God is faithful to the promise concerning the land. He's faithful to the promise concerning the child and He's faithful concerning the promises about the land. And though Abraham never possesses it, he simply lives in tents there. He gets to experience the blessings of the land and the peace with its inhabitants in the land. 
we sort of wonder, what's the point of this added, this story added into chapter 21? And I think it is to highlight the peace that Abraham lived under in the land because of who is mentioned that is living there. This is the first time that the Philistines are mentioned in the Bible. And who will they be? They will be enemies, right? There will be constant conflict with Abraham's descendants in the land. But yet here in the very beginning, there is a foreshadowing of the peace that comes through the child of promise, Jesus Christ. I think that's the point why these two are tied together. A child of promise through whom would come a child of promise that would bless all nations. An offspring through whom the offspring would come that will usher in an everlasting peace where we will rest in the comfort of the shade of the tree of life and eat of its fruits. In peace in the promised land. And all the nations that rage will be quieted. And people from every nation, a tribe, and tongue will dwell in everlasting peace because God is faithful to His promises. He's long-suffering. He forgets not. And He is gracious when we don't deserve grace. And He is merciful when we don't deserve mercy. And He's faithful to keep His promises. And we, by faith, through grace, are grafted in and get to hope against hope that the promised rest and peace will be ushered in when the son of promise returns. Not as a child being weaned, but as the conquering Savior. Lord, you are good and you are gracious to us. You are patient. You deal with us in loving kindness that never runs out. Though we are sinful, you forgive. Though we are hard-hearted, you are soft and tender towards us. Though we are stiff-necked, you lovingly guide. Because you are faithful to your own words. 
So God, may we, like Abraham, have hope against all hope, even when it seems impossible. Even when we're in the distress of the desert, may we look to you and your faithful hand, waiting on you to prove yourself faithful. You are faithful and true. And we worship you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.